John 3, 1 through 17. Okay, so the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Amen. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus, because we know nothing good comes from any other source. Amen? I'm going to quote some scripture here for you. 
Genesis, or excuse me, um, yeah, this is Genesis. And the tempter came, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Then the devil, excuse me, that's Matthew, I'm sorry. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. The Genesis, the scripture that I wanted to share with you, I believe is Genesis 3.1, and that is where Adam and Eve are in the garden, and we know that the serpent was craftier than all the others, and he said to the woman, Did God tell you that you would die if you ate of this tree? And she said, I'll paraphrase something like, yes. He said, do not. Touch it or eat it or surely you will die. And Satan, the serpent, said, you surely won't die. He just wants you to not be and know what he knows. Satan is still misquoting Scripture and misrepresenting the nature of God. And Satan works in dark places, rampant on the Internet, rampant on the pages of Facebook, are declaratives about Jesus that just are not true. Horrible things have been written. False equivalencies stating, or rather stated as facts about Jesus and his followers. And these things are stated and, and passed along and shared in order to push an agenda, to push a candidate, or to push a party. And what we are witnessing is this. We are witnessing a biblically illiterate world using the Holy Bible and twisting Scripture to further an agenda. And often, too often, we see a biblically illiterate church that listens and then nods their collective heads. And preachers are to blame. The people also need to abide in the word. We talked about abide in the last few weeks. But one cannot abide in the word if they don't take time to hear it, to study it, and to meditate on it. And just as we cannot survive on one meal per week, neither can we thrive by hearing only the word or being fed on one day, on a Sunday, each week. The problem that I see, and as I just stated, is that deceptions like the ones that Satan put out, happen 
in real life, in real time, all the time today. And these deceptions can lead to a lot of confusion and harm. And one of those deceptions is related to the theme of today's gospel that you heard earlier in the service. Every so often, someone will ask, where did you Christians get the idea for the Trinity? Why, you can't even find the word Trinity in the Bible. Now, people say this with such sincerity, maybe even authority and enthusiasm, that it's easy for us to get flustered, maybe confused, and begin to wonder if the doctrine of the Trinity is just a man-made idea. Might ask, where is the, fall- the fallacy in their argument? They are actually making the assumption that something without a name does not exist. Let me explain. These people are saying that something is not true simply because we don't have a name for it. Is, is that a valid line of thinking? No, it's not. Did people go flying off into space until someone came up with the word gravity? Of course not. Gravity has been in effect ever since the second day of creation. Just because we didn't always have a name for gravity, it doesn't mean it didn't exist. And the same thing is true for the Trinity. While it is true that the Bible does not use the word Trinity, it doesn't mean that it isn't there. So let's take a look at the words of Jesus in today's gospel. This reading, which is familiar to all of you, is the story of Jesus' conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And in the past, one of my brothers or sisters at uh, Lutheran Church of the Cross actually came up with a children's program that was called Nick at Night. And it was pretty successful. David wasn't, I don't think, born yet, but, um, but my kids, uh, John, the oldest, was a part of that. So we go back to the story that Nicodemus was honestly curious about Jesus' teaching, and he wanted to know more. And so he came to Jesus after he finished his duties for the day and could have a little one-on-one time with Jesus. And I am absolutely certain that many doctoral theses have been written about the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. But for today, let's just concentrate on this, and that is the idea of the Trinity and how it affected Jesus' words. First of all, Jesus spoke of being born again. And when Nicodemus expressed his confusion over this concept, Jesus answered this, truly, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, because the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, where would Jesus' answer be without the Holy Spirit? He basically says to Nicodemus, stop thinking of trying to enter the kingdom of God under your own steam. When a baby is born, it has absolutely no say-so in the matter. The mother brings the baby into the world whether the baby wants to come or not. And in a similar way, when a Christian is born into the kingdom of God, he has no say-so in the matter. The Holy Spirit brings the Christian kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. You don't have to know how it works. The Holy Spirit knows how it works, and that is enough. Jesus' explanation makes no sense whatsoever unless the Holy Spirit is real. I just torpedoed the thought that is prevalent out there in the world that I chose Jesus as my personal Savior. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And later in the conversation, Jesus answered Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, we so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And here Jesus tells Nicodemus how the Holy Spirit brings a Christian into the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit causes the person to believe in the Son of Man who is lifted up just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And then, immediately in the very next sentence, Jesus continues with this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And here we we get to witness Jesus tell Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit brings a Christian into the kingdom of God by causing the person to believe in the only Son of God. In one sentence, Jesus tells Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit causes the person to believe in the Son of Man and then in the next sentence, he tells Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit causes a person to believe in the Son of God. And these statements make a whole lot more sense when the Son of Man and the Son of God are the same person. Where would this part of Jesus' answer be? Without the Son to come into the world? And for that matter, a father to send him into the world? Thus we see that this whole conversation 
is totally impossible without a father to send a son. A son who is both God and man and who will be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. And a spirit who gives new birth into the kingdom of God by producing faith, producing faith in the Son. We, do, we, we not only learn about these three persons, but we also see the role that each one of them has in our salvation. In this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus tells us everything that makes Christianity unique among all of the other religions of the world. Only Christianity has a God who is a community of three persons. Only Christianity has a God who loves us enough to sacrifice his only son to save us. We learn something else in today's gospel. We learn about Nicodemus, where it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And later on in the Gospel of John, we will read in John 19, 38 through 40, that after Jesus had died, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate did give him permission And so he came and he took away his body. Then we hear Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews." Nicodemus was an example of what the Pharisees and the rulers of the Jews were supposed to be. He was not corrupt. He was doing his best to lead a God-pleasing life. He was doing his best to lead the Jews according to God's command. And even so, Nicodemus, because of his excellent training as a Pharisee, he knew that he had not kept the law as he should have. He knew the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit had used that knowledge to convict him of his sin. Nicodemus was also a sinner who needed the forgiveness that comes with faith in the Son of God who was lifted up on a cross for the sins of the world. And this noble and uh, gentle man who actually lived up to the code of conduct of the Pharisees, he knew that he was still a sinner in need of God's grace. And where does that place you? And where does that place me? sinners in need of God's grace. We must stand with Isaiah today. 
when the reading, it was said, Woe is to me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. If a man of such upright character as Nicodemus is a sinner in need of God's grace, then we too can only come before God and beg for mercy. And we have mercy. We have mercy. We have mercy. We have mercy from. The Father has sent the Son to save the world. The Son has sacrificed himself on the cross in order to provide forgiveness for you and for me and has risen from the dead. And the Holy Spirit has shown our sin to us and then given us a new birth into God's kingdom so that we might receive the Son's gift of forgiveness through faith in him. Each member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has done his part to save us from our sins. And as far as the fact that the Bible does not use the terms triune or trinity, it is not important that the actual words be in the Bible. What is important is the teaching is there. And it is there. And Genesis begins with God creating the spirit with God creating the spirit hovering and the word through which God is created. And Revelations 14:1 speaks of 144,000 who had the name of the Lamb and the name of the Father written on their foreheads, as well as the Spirit, who along with the bride invites us to drink of the water of life. The books in between, Genesis and Revelation, are impossible to understand apart from the teaching that the Father is God that the Son is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God. And yet, there are not three gods, but only one God. We don't have to understand it. We just have to believe it. In the name of Jesus, amen.